Almighty and everlasting God, who hatest nothing that thou hast made, and dost forgive the sins of all those who are penitent, create and make in us new and contrite hearts, that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of thee, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, for, uh, for, the, for the tape and for the confused, this is the uh, Cathedral Church of the Advent, Christian Education, uh, the second Sunday in Lent 2014. Lord, please post my selfie, Lent confession, and how sin seizes up your heart's hard drive. Uh, you have on the handout before you a photograph that will also be on the, the website of a young woman. So I need a either a conspiracy theorist or a royal watcher. Those would be the most likely people to identify this young this young woman. I, I see a couple of conspiracy theorists. Any ideas? Oh. Excellent, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Pope gets a blow pop. Uh, this is the Grand Duchess Anastasia of Russia, uh, daughter of Nicholas II, the last czar of of Russia, uh, in 1914. Uh, and you may remember that uh, her family uh, was executed uh, by the Bolsheviks in a basement in 19. Uh, in 1918. This image is the earliest known example of a teenager taking a selfie. <laughs> uh, also, Anastasia is fascinating because throughout much of the 20th century, women would periodically pop up claiming to be Anastasia having escaped the basement, the theory being that the Romanov jewels had been sewn into her dress and the jewels were so immense they deflected Bolshevik uh, bullets. Uh, those were all disproven eventually, and her grave was found in the late 90s, and, and DNA confirmed that it was her. So thus, all dreams die. Um, all right, first, why selfies in this context? Or why selfies at all? And again, uh, just for the record, a selfie is a photograph that is a self-portrait. Uh, today primarily taken by a camera on a phone or some other portable device. So why selfies at all? They being so prevalent that actually last year the Oxford English Dictionary put the word in the, OE, the OED. There's probably lots of reasons, cultural, theological, emotional, spiritual, economic, but I think for our purposes there's, there's, there's three reasons that will apply to the way we think about confession and self-examination and Lent. The first reason we have selfies is that we can't recognize ourselves. We can't recognize our own faces. We are terrible at recognizing our own image because our perception of our face is governed by the movement of our face. So that, that, that at any time we have a very inaccurate understanding of what our face actually looks like. And that they've done lots of kind of psychological testing on this. 
and that when people are shown an image of their face with an expression, and then the image is taken away and they're asked to repeat it, you can't do it without looking back at your own face. So, so clearly, one reason for selfies is we can't recognize ourselves. We can't see ourselves. A second reason is that even if we could, we don't really want to recognize our own face. Same kind of phenomenon. Batteries of these psychological tests. Uh, people will be given arrays of photographs of faces, including their own. And their own images will have been digitally uh, uh, messed with uh, to alter them, make them more attractive, less attractive, older, younger, whatever. And people have great difficulty picking out the original photograph. In other words, who they really are, but perhaps more importantly, they invariably select as the original photograph the one that is portrays them as younger and more attractive than the original would. So, so we can't recognize our own faces. If we could, we would rather have another one in general. And then finally, selfies may be important because we want to change our memory of events. We want to change our memory of events. The National Portrait Gallery in London, and this is a very fancy, good-looking group in here. I know people have been to the, to the uh, National Portrait Gallery in London. They had a seminar in January. And the title of the seminar was, I love this, The Curated Ego, What Makes a Good Selfie? The Curated Ego. And the question that the panelists dis discussed at the National Portrait Gallery was this. Philosophers have often linked personal identity to memory. It is suggested that we continue to be the same person as long as our memory of past events stays with us. But are memories unchanging, or can memories be curated to fit a desirable image? And curate, of course, in the sense like the way, the way a museum director will will. We'll, we'll prepare an exhibition, adding in some things and taking some things out and emphasizing some and de-emphasizing others. That may be why selfies, but why confession? Okay, and if 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 the if the word confession sort of gives anyone the creeps, just just plug in Lenten self-examination. That's a nice mushy Episcopalian word. So if you don't like confession for some reason, just just think Lenten self-confession. Okay. Um, we actually, we we actually have these discussions in our household. Actually, I didn't get prior approval to tell this, but I'm going to take a run at it anyway. Elizabeth was raised a Roman Catholic, and when she was a very young girl, she went to confession. But of course, when you're that young, you don't really do anything. I mean, you don't really have that much to 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 confess. She goes to confession. She says whatever it is she says. Priest leaves. Elizabeth goes to leave, and the door is jammed on the confessional. She is locked in the confessional, <laughs> right? And this, of course, probably caused all sort of theological and personal angst at the time to be locked. In fact, when, when Paul Zoll moved here, we just moved here, we had dinner with him, and she told the story, and, and for about an hour, we, we went through the whole locking in of the confessional thing. So if you're uncomfortable with confession, confessional, just talk, think in terms of Lenten self-examination. Um, 
why have confession? And, and we'll talk a little bit about different kinds of confession, but why have confession? Why confess? Why even have the concept? Bizarrely, I think a lot of the theological impulse is the same as the selfie impulse. Because, because of sin, we have a hard time recognizing ourselves. It's a marred world with marred perceptions. So we, just, we, ha- we can't recognize our own faces. And to the extent we can, most of us, certainly I do, want to look like something else other than a sinner in an unredeemed world. And um, I, would surely, I would surely rather curate my own life than have God do it. Because I know what I want and have planned for my own self, and I'm not, I'm not convinced of what he has planned for me. So I would rather be the curator of me in my sinful state. So the same impulses that drive us, encourage us, tantalize us to selfies, also drive us, encourage us, and circumscribe our behavior with regard to confession. What makes this course, I hope, work is that selfies are more natural to us than confession. And what we want to do is try to figure out why the one and why the other in this season of Lent that allows us to, uh, to get away from what's driving us to the selfie and more to what drives us to confession. Because here's the thing. The only point of confession is to recognize sin. Right? If you don't recognize sin, you don't, you don't, there's no need for confession. If we recognize sin, um, we are freed for grace. And if we're freed for grace, uh, we're saved from death. That's the whole point of any of this. Okay? There's lots of subsidiary points, but that's the main point. So let's repeat it. that Confession requires recognition of sin. He or she who does not recognize sin is not impelled to confess. When we recognize sin, we're freed up for grace. Grace cannot work unless there's a recognition of sin. And then once we're freed up for grace, right, we can live. And that's, that's the whole point of the Course. All right, let's take a step back. First things first. What is confession? To confess. To have confessed. Okay. Um, it's a lot of things, and only a couple of them we're going to deal with. Uh, look in the handout. Flip over from Anastasia, if you would. Um, and you'll see a few passages that we will go through. Um, the first two are what we most often think of as confession. First, confession as acknowledgement, Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So confession can be acknowledgement of our sinful condition. Confession can also be expressed faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, right, if you speak, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those are the two ways in which most of us most commonly would think about confession. Either either acknowledging particular sins or general sinfulness, or 
confession in the sense of I confess, I profess, I say this to be true, I hold this. Okay. But it's actually a a, a, a little more complicated than that because we have, and we don't think of this so much anymore because this doesn't literally happen, although it certainly figuratively happens. Confession in Scripture is tied often to the concept of the scapegoat. And I won't read the whole passage there from Leviticus 16, uh, 20 to 22, but of course the idea was that the priest laid hands on a goat transferring to the animal the sins of the nation. The animal was sent into the wilderness to die, and that was the propitiation. That was the, 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 the way sin was dealt with. It was transferred. Right? So confession can even, and even today, Confession can take on, especially private confession, can take on a, a, a scapegoating aspect. Confession also has a restitution aspect. Numbers five, chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. Uh, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed. And he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did wrong. So that is confession, not just to God, but it's horizontal confession. Confession to somebody, I have wronged, I did this wrong thing, I admit it, I'm sorry, I realized it was wrong, and some payback, and here's some interest on my apology as well. Okay, there's, so there's, there's, there's restitution. Um, Confession can also be daily practice. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. James, of course, is always, is, is, is in many places very practice-oriented. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, we see this often today in in small group kind of structures that we don't really think of confession in a in a uh, uh, you know 1930s movie kind of sense we got father O'Hara and that kind of thing I've been thinking about Irish because as I've been preparing I've been looking at that leprechaun stuck on the the, <laughs> the door over there because tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day um, but we uh, so we, we don't think of small group interaction as confession, but obviously it often has that confession as practice uh, aspect to it because oftentimes in a biblically-based, spirit-filled small group, one will sh share with that group things that one would under no circumstances share uh, out, outside it. Um, Confession can also be uh, con a condition precedent. That is, it comes before something else. I mean, we have to be a little careful theologically with this, but 1 John, chapter, uh, 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, that it, that's the conditional piece, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. So there we are told that confession, which at heart is the recognition of sin, is a condition. It's a condition to what? It's a condition to coming forward. It's a condition um, that allows us to receive grace. Because again, he or she who doesn't fulfill that condition doesn't fulfill it because they don't recognize sin. And if you don't recognize sin, your heart's not prepared for grace. And then finally, and I thought this was fascinating because I never really thought of this until I started preparing for this course. Confession even has an aspect of Jesus' intercession for us before the Father. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So confession can have an intercessory aspect for us as well. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always a little skittish around Revelation. It's sort of like playing a Doors record backwards sometimes. But... but it is still a, a powerful concept, Jesus' intersection, intercession for us. So confession is a bunch of things. It's primarily acknowledgement and expressed faith. Faith. I confess this, right? Those two things. I know I sinned, I admit it, and I confess a particular faith. But it's also a scapegoat. It is also involved in restitution. It's involved in our daily practice, our daily walk. Um, it, is a, it is a condition. It is a preparation of heart. And ultimately, it is part of Jesus' intercession for us because, of course, the Father has to look through the crucified Lord in order to see us. Right? So confession works a lot of different ways. And what I would like us all to do, and before we're together again, assuming any of you return, um, is to think about some of these odder ways that confession works in our lives. Uh, if you're doing small group readings, how that how that uh, applies or, or 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 doesn't or doesn't. All right. Um, confession and the prayer book. This is all just blocking and tackling. I know, but but uh, let's 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 go over briefly. Um, and you also have handy a copy of the uh, excerpts from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Nothing peculiar about 1662. I'm just kind of a 17th century guy. Um, in the Anglican tradition, obviously we have uh, a, a confession in two different spots. We have it in morning prayer and Holy Communion given to us primarily and originally by Thomas Cramner. Um, both of them have the same structure. There's an introduction that's penitential. There's an exhortation. There's a, the actual general confession itself. And then there's absolution. And, of course, it's general confession because it's designed for corporate worship as opposed to <coughs> private recognition of sins that we may offer up in our own individual prayers. Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's also not 
uh, what's called our auricular confession, which is we're going to cover in a whole other class, which is, a, of course, confession to a priest, auricular confession into somebody else's ear. Um, so it's corporate worship. It is corporate confession. It is a confession that, uh, so to speak, co- covers a multitude of sins. It is not particular to particular acts or omissions. Now, it is a general confession. Why is it liturgically appropriate or necessary to have a general confession? In other words, I mean, it could be, it could be skipped. There's nothing sort of rhythmically necessary to it. Why, why is it necessary and appropriate to have a general confession? It's not a rhetorical question. Anybody have any idea? We have individual sins and we have corporate sins. I mean, as, as a people, as a nation, as a human race, we're fallen. Uh, right? And, 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 is, and, and we live in a fallen world and it's a recognition of, of the commonality yeah. of that. Doesn't it sort of bring into the loop people who might individually be lazy about their own individual confession and kind of extend to them a little blanket coverage? Well, that's a very inter- that, that's a that's a that's an interesting point. That it's kind of like a rider on your insurance policy or something. That that that. Uh, but actually, people who argue in the Anglican tradition for the for the desirability of a auricular confession. That is, there are there are people who believe very fervently and publish right a lot that 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 confession to a priest is uh, if 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 not elevated to quite the same level it is in Roman Catholic practice should 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 uh, uh, should should have a greater emphasis than just a general confession. And one of their arguments is something similar to that, which is you just kind of blow through the general confession, and it's so general, it doesn't. It's not efficacious. It sort of doesn't do anything. You just kind of, it's like the Lord's Prayer. You just kind of get general confession, you know, and you just kind of go through it. And, and one of their arguments, which which I'm not persuaded by, but one of their arguments is, you only sort of the rubber only hits the confessional road, so to speak, when you are actually talking to a person. And in another, in another class, I'll spend a little bit of time on that. There's not really scriptural, biblical foundation for for that but that's an interesting point that that sort of general confession is they they would claim is sort of it, it's it sort of overcompensates and undercompensates it overcompensates because it's it sort of it's it's general it's, it's 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 too many people and it's not specific enough it undercompensates because it doesn't get it what our particular sins are so all right so um it's it but a a general confession does uh, prepare us. In other words, and we see this right in the Old Testament and New Testament, we shouldn't presume to come into God's presence corporately, into His house and before His altar, without a recognition of sin and and a a uh, um, essentially seeking cleansing and forgiveness. Okay. Now, this is not to say that you got to kind of clean up before we come into God's presence, but rather it's, it's sort of the inverse of that. It's the recognition that I am not cleaned up and that I am seeking forgiveness. I'm recognizing sin and I'm seeking this situation and uh, seeking you know, absolution of it, and I'm not going to go into his presence until I do that because I understand that I'm the created, not the, not the creator. 
Okay. Um, uh, now this, uh, and actually this 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 follows in nicely, segues nicely into into what Charles just mentioned. Um, two concepts that get very boogered up. That's no theological term. <laughs> Penitence and penance. Penitence and penance. Um, penitence is scripturally sound. That is a penitent heart is what God seeks. Penance by itself is something else entirely. Penance, of course, or acts of pen, uh, uh, penance are what? They are penalties that you either prescribe to yourself or somebody else, somebody in, in authority, priest, counselor, somebody, uh, prescribes to you as uh, essentially punishment for confessed sins. You know, go, you know, go, take a, go take a cold shower, say 20 Hail Marys and sin no more. Kind of thing. That's that's penance. Um, f- for reasons we'll get into a little bit later on, that is not biblically sound, and it, it only happened because. And I am no Greek. I like Greek food. I am no Greek scholar, so this is all derivative. What I'm about to tell you, but the problem comes from a misconstruction. A long time ago, the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia means to change your heart or change your mind. Um, um, over time, metanoia got translated into penitentia, from which we get ultimately the word penitentiary. Um, penitentia connotes more of, of, of punishment, of, 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 of changing because of of punishment, um, and the two are very different, but they got conflated. And this this is an aside, but this this is curious to me. There's actually a phrase "locus penitentiae," which is the opportunity of abandoning the intent of committing a crime. In other words, you realize that the the pain, the penalty is is looming over you, so you say. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go rob the bank. Perhaps even more compellingly, has anybody ever watched Sons of Anarchy? You know, I'm talking about it's on Fox. It's this drama about this motorcycle club. It's, it's great stuff. But anyway, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, in fact, there's a, there's a uh, there's, there's websites devoted to it. The best one is Men of Mayhem. You go to Men of Mayhem, and they and they they summarize all each episode for you, and they have like. Sons of Anarchy experts, and they have these conversations about it. Um, there was a Sons of Anarchy episode titled Penitentia. I mean, the, the Greek word, Penitentia. And I was reading Men of Mayhem, and uh, this, con- this conversation is going on, and one of the commentators says, there was a lot to like in tonight's momentum-building episode of Sons of Anarchy, the one called Penitentia. By the way, I looked it up, and it means something like regret, in case you're keeping score at home. And regret seemed to be a theme this week, but I guess that's the case every week because these dudes just can't stay out of trouble or put their past behind them. How true. How true. So if nothing else, go watch 
Sons of Anarchy. Uh, not with your children. Um, if you still have them under 21. So, but in any event, this confusion, the whole metanoia penitentia problem, ended up very early in our tradition. Like Wycliffe translating to do penance instead of to repent. All right, but if I'm right, what, what does God actually want instead of acts of penance? And again, we'll, have to, we'll come back to that because, because uh, even, even today, in, especially in the Roman Catholic tradition, sort of acts of, of penance are perceived to be a way of, of, of dealing with, with sin and, 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 and confessing it. Um, but what does God want if not acts of, of penance? Rend your heart, not your garments. He wants a broken and contrite heart, right? Um, now, this this is a good point because at this point, uh, people who are a little skeptical of this whole uh, enterprise will say, among other things, well, look, if I do something wrong, okay, uh, in, in, in something in the secular sense, I just, I wrong another person. Why can't I just confess to the person I offend, the person I, I wrong? Sort of, <coughs> excuse me, what does God have to do with it? God already knows what I did. God's already perfectly aware of my wrongs anyway. It's not like I'm hiding them from him. I don't, he doesn't need my confession to, to, get, a, to, get, a, to get an update. Um, and the next iteration of this class, which was focused on secular Confession. I mean, we're going to do some Lance Armstrong, some A Rod, all kind of good stuff. But um, um, uh, the short answer, anyway, is that well, a single act can certainly be an offense against our fellows, uh, or against some corporate group, even. But first and foremost, a wrongful act is an offense against God. That's the main thing it is. And that's the thing that needs to be addressed if, in fact, we want to receive the fruits that I first described right at the beginning, right? Which is confession requires recognition of sin. Recognition of, of sin uh, allows us to receive grace. And grace allows us to, to live. Uh, so let's... let's Take a look, following up on the rend your heart uh, notion, at Psalm 51, which is also in the handout. And obviously it's very, very familiar. Um, and let's remember the context. Um, this is after David has gone down the road with Bathsheba. He has sent Uriah to his, his, his death. Uh, he has been confronted by the prophet, and he realizes his true state of affairs, starting out, Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. For I know, uh, verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And then critically, verse 4 addresses what we just touched upon. Against you, you only have I sinned and done 
what is evil in your sight. Now, literally, that's not true. I mean, look at what he's done. I mean, he's he's committed adultery. He's he's commit essentially committed murder. He has abdicated his his leadership and royal duties with regard to the state. So so it's 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 clearly literally not true. That verse four is is inaccurate. He has sinned against Bathsheba. He has sinned against her husband. He has sinned against his 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 state. He is he has sinned against his army because he was a military leader and betrayed their trust. So in that sense, in the secular sense, that's not a true statement. But theologically and scripturally, it is absolutely true because the sin that is really of issue is not one of politeness. It's not one of leadership. Uh, it's not one of social fabric, right? Although all those things can really be important. No, he recognizes that what's important is I have sinned against you, and he is so deeply convicted of it. He says, and only you, right? Extraordinary thing. Here he's done all these terrible things, and he is, he is if, you, if, you, if you read it, I think, without the proper lens, you think, I got he's, he's gone the other direction. He's still, he's still ignorant of what he has done to Bathsheba. He is still ignorant of his act in, in essentially killing Uriah and so forth. But the, 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 the point is that his heart is now being rent. And as we see in, in, at the, in verse 17, <clears throat> the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So, when we're thinking about and praying about this concept of recognition of sin, and we get pushback from people we're talking to or we're 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 praying with, in the sense that, you know, look, I don't, I don't, I will conduct my ethical life ethically, and if I screw up, I will certainly make amends. I'll make restitution. I'll apologize or whatever. I think what we need to pray about and with them and, 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 and engage them about is that is, good, that is a good thing to, to conduct your life ethically and to have enough top of mind, you know, sort of ethical stuff to recognize an offense against a person. Perfectly appropriate. But that is not going to save you or me. That is not going to provide peace. Okay? It'll provide order. It'll, you know, restitution will, will, will assuage people's pride and so forth. But it will not suffice for salvation. And the only thing that will suffice is the recognition of sin. And that's why we have statements of confession. Okay? That is a very, what little I've done, it as, as it's sometimes a very odd conversation to have with people. Because they often, I mean, we often think when, when somebody says that, that you're, you're trying to uh, uh, characterize their conduct. The answer is I, I and you don't characterize conduct at all, but rather Scripture does and the Bible does. And that's what drives confession. Okay. All right. There will be uh, more classes. Again, assuming any of y'all come back uh, next time.
we will probably finish up this piece with the 39 articles, then we'll dive into secular confession. Uh, we'll have a session on confession and secrecy. We'll have a session on confession and crime fiction uh, and uh, confession and torture, Dirty Harry, the series 24, the series uh, Justified. So uh, I'm afraid we're about out of time. We can take two minutes, but otherwise... Uh, uh, and go forth and serve the Lord.